Hello and welcome to Business Without Now, Ori Clark is one of the only, if not the only, firm in the UK that specialises in both legal and accountancy work. And its partner is Andy Ori, who's sitting next to me now. And Andy observed that so many of the firm's clients, so many of his and his partner's clients, are doing such fascinating things. And he wanted to find um, a means to share those interesting things with a wider audience. And that means is this podcast. So, hello, Andy. Who have we got on the show today? And what are we going to be talking about? Hello, Dominic. Thank you for that lovely introduction. Um, we have the fabulous Chris Howard on the podcast today. Now, I I know Chris has done a few things, but I've tried to jot down his brief CV. <laughs> there's, no way, there's no way of compacting this into a, a single sentence, but I will attempt. He, he's a boy from Reading, effectively, that through a strange circumstances of divorce and, behave, and, uh, and I guess an interest in doing a PhD, um, ended up at MIT. He, he was then professor of physics at Harvard. Uh, he then basically got into several startups, Libu, uh, a mass challenge, which is one of the biggest accelerators around. Uh, and then he sort of ended up being a venture builder. He also was on Gordon Ramsay's uh, F Word, if you uh, can dig that out of YouTube. He's also a musician. And uh, and I know him from his more recent venture. We were introduced um, through, through an agency called London Park. Partners. Big up London and big up Ted, London and Partners. Yo, Ted. Anyway, and uh, he, he, his last venture, which I think is fabulous, is the, is the Rattle, which is, um, yeah, I guess it's an evolving thing, but it is, is it attempting to uh, help the uh, music industry sort itself out? Um, uh, it, it, it is a, uh, a venture and collaborative uh, organization to help artists build careers and these sorts of things. And uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, I didn't even read out the list properly. And I really want a business girl with professor of physics at Harvard. But um, yeah, that's that's roughly it. That's it. That was him. That's Chris. Yeah. I mean, I thought I did a lot of things, <laughs> but oh my goodness me. Uh, this is the first time I've met anyone who does more than I do. Um, tell us what you're doing at the moment, or are you doing like five different things at the moment? No, this is like the, one of the first times in my life I'm doing maybe only one or two things. Kind of feels really good, right? To actually just focus on something. Um, I, I am currently the CEO and co-founder of The Rattle, which is, uh, as Andy uh, so beautifully put, we're basically trying to fuck up the music industry for the better. Um, you know, our belief system at The Rattle is that artists are founders of their own ventures. They just don't know it yet. And so if you can help them understand that very, very basic principle, then um, the decisions they have to develop a career are fundamentally different. Uh, it's the same techniques that, like, Elon Musk has had or Zuckerberg has had or I've had in, in the past. It, you know, when people respect that you are the master of the thing that you've made, it just, it's a, it's a wonderful journey to take the thing you've made and build a venture out of it. I, I remember Ted, uh, well, when Ted introduced it, I remember when you said, you you first described it, you said, yeah, that musicians don't realize they're a startup business. And I, I so agree. Like I was like, Oh my God, it was like a light coming. I was like, somebody else understands yeah, this man. musicians. And it sees this breakdown of trust, but there's just this whole thing. Oh, I don't know. I don't touch numbers. And, and they say, maybe it's to do with our education system. But when you said that, and you said the first thing a musician should be doing is hiring a chief operating officer, you know, a, a tech officer and building. When it comes to building their thing. Yeah. But like the, 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 the penny really dropped for me when I was, 
you know, Bobby, my co-founder, he, um, he, he told me about his label deals. Like he was signed to three major labels, sold millions of records, played all over the world, but he could still barely afford to pay the rent. And I was like, what, what the fuck? Yeah. And um, like he, he talked about his label deal and because of the background I had in building startups. What, what instrument did he play? Was he a singer? Uh, he's just drummer. a boring, boring drummer from Reading. Okay. <laughs> Like that's how we know each other, and he was actually a, he's a fantastic writer and producer as well. But um, he uh, he showed me this deal and uh, or talked about this deal, sorry. And I was like, dude, this is an M and A deal. Like, do you know that? And he goes, what Maltesers and almonds? I'm like, no, mate. Like, <laughs> like if you really think about it, when you sign a record deal, for the most part, you're selling your IP, the thing that you've made. You're being reemployed by the company that you sell it to. And then yeah, you're told yeah. you only get paid if that thing makes money. And you're like, what? <laughs> plus, plus you, and it really is true, you have the, the most complicated fucking industry. Mm. Publishing is, it's it, it's ridiculous how complicated it's it is. Bonkers. You know, no one, I mean, no one can understand it without the help of a lawyer account. So it's as complicated as tax publishing and how, you know, that, and this is some of the things, you, well, both of us, you, you've mm. been spearheading, but I've been trying to support with some technical expertise. No, 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 is in, how do you, you know, what are they, 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 everything's got so complicated. You know, there's so many different players in the music industry. There's the label and the publisher and the promoter and the and the PR and this thing and you manager and you can't trust them. And it's like, what the fuck is an artist supposed yeah, to man. do? And the ones who do well are the ones who have a have a real eye for marketing, in my so, opinion. Wh what I want to ask here yeah, is sorry. Yeah, no, no, it's absolutely <laughs> fine. And um by the way, a, a comedian who's starting out as well is basically a little startup. Yes, absolutely. And he, you know, absolutely. And, and he's a they're like a little Thatcher's little small business, you know, he books his own gigs and he has to organise his own travel and his hotels and he has to try and make sure that the money gets paid for the gigs and offset that and do his tax and offset, or she. you know, it's all a small business. But like, and this is a subject that's come up on the, on this podcast before, mm. the way the music industry is, it, it's really difficult to make money to earn a living if you write popular songs. Uh, even if, you know, like I, I wrote a song that was a viral hit earlier this year and it, it was like number one on the Amazon singles chart and it had 600,000 views on YouTube and a million and a half on Facebook and it was number 17 in the iTunes chart. And total gross revenues from this song so far, I think, are $2,600. Oh, it's... You know, and that, oh, that in, in the 70s, that song could have probably looked after me for a couple of years. Oh, it's bonkers, isn't it? Like the, the thing that, the thing I've been trying to distill from the world of startups, like I, I first matured, so to speak, when I went to MIT. Like I got I, divorced. Yeah, yeah <laughs> and then I got divorced. But like, um, thank you, mate. But like, <laughs> the thing that, like, that I realized is that a company isn't a business. They're, they're actually two different things. Like, you know, a, a company is a collection of people that try and achieve an end result by creating a business and a product and a brand. So three core functions of a company. And the point of a brand is to change people's behavior by doing something fucking incredible, right? You get in front of their attention, you say, don't do that, do this. Don't think that, think this. Or don't feel that, feel this. And if your brand does a good job, you collect advocates in return. People who, to your company, like people who believe like, holy shit, man, that is amazing. But the difference is a brand isn't a thing you often monetize. It's a product that you monetize. Like monetizing a product is solving a commercial problem. Like I would rather pay somebody to do this than me do it myself. Or I would rather pay someone to build something because I can't be asked to learn or I don't have the time or I don't have the network. So you buy a product to shortcut 
a solution to a problem. And all a business is, is the glue that puts those two things together and manages the resources, right? So every artist under the sun, that good artist under the sun, is fucking brilliant at changing behavior, like utterly brilliant at changing behavior. But the problem that people used to pay for... The, good, the artist is good at changing behavior. You mean, uh, uh, I, I listen to Led Zeppelin, they don't change my behavior. What do you they mean? They change your mood. My mood. Okay, they, they change. change. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. They make you feel a different thing, or they inspire you to go and watch a show, or they say, listen to this to a mate, right? Right, right. They ultimately... They, they have in, a huge influence. Yeah, they get in front yeah, of your right, attention right, and make right. you do something differently. But the problem of access to music, sorry, the problem, <laughs> fuck, <laughs> the problem of the music industry used to be access to that music. So the commercial problem was, how do I listen to that at home? Or how do I listen to it again? Or how do I listen to it on the move? So you would pay for that problem to be solved. The second Napster came out, that problem vanished. Mm -hmm. So it's no surprise to anybody that streaming is not a product. It's not a product, it's a marketing engine. Right? Mm. So if anybody now is relying upon streaming as their product, uh, you, you just that's never a very interesting. I think what you you do. I yeah. mean, it's semantics on some level, but I think it's important. It helps when you make these distinctions that you're you're trying you're trying to distill when you look at a business. There's yeah, the business, the product, the brand. There are these these separate things that need to be thought about separately. And you don't sometimes what you, you're expecting to draw money out of. You have to understand is actually that's your marketing tool or your lost mm. leader or whatever. So that's an interesting. That's an interesting. Um, why do? You, why are you making that split in regard to music? Is the is something? Yeah, I, I like to use this nice. I like to use a little thought experiment to 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 make this point. And it is if you imagine you're driving down the motorway like seventy miles an hour because we all obey the law, obviously. And um, like you don't have any data on your phone, so you can't use Spotify for argument's sake, or whatever. So you have to listen to the radio, and all of a sudden, um, the best fucking track you've ever heard in your whole life comes on, and you're like holy shit, this is amazing. Like, this is honestly, mm, it blows my mind how good this is, but I don't know who it is. And then the track moves on. Like, what do you do next? Well, what's it called? Once a Yazoo. Shazam. Shazam. Yeah. We well, yeah. haven't got any data on your phone, right? <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah. Like, you could save it now and then it will, when you connect. <laughs> I'll tell you what you don't do though. You don't you slam your foot on the brake, pull the car to the side of the road, jump out the car, use your phone to call the radio station and say, who do I pay? Yeah, okay. No one's ever paid to listen to music in the history of humankind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People have paid for access to music. Yeah, That's a yeah. different problem. Yeah, right? yeah, it's true. And so, like, when you start realizing that, uh, what we do at The Rattle is we help changes of behavior, changes of behavior, whether that's through culture, art, music, or technology, design the product that supports that change. And now in the world of music, it's not selling classically, at least, access to music. So you, the product is the changing of behavior, you think? Or the... Yeah, you can, you can create products around that change. Like, yeah, we'll take yeah. one of our artists, Alex Ellis, right? So his, his story is um, he uses Spotify as a marketing engine, and he uses it as a means to understand his fans more. And what he does is he gets under the skin of his fans, gets their contact details, and um, says, hey, I'll tell you what, do you want to know how this music's made? Why don't you come to a rehearsal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he charges tickets to his rehearsals, which people fucking love. And they'll pay anywhere between 20 and 50 pounds. Would you pounds. charge tickets to your uh, comedy rehearsals, Dominic? I'm not sure. <laughs> no, no. I'm, my, my brain's ticking. I couldn't do that. No. I couldn't have my Watch methods exposed. Watch me not be funny. <laughs> <laughs> and then when Honestly, they there, when they laugh, oh, I'm on a winner. Sure, but the, the, the point of 
it takes so many failures to get to a point that a joke works. <laughs> and then <laughs> when the joke works, it looks question. so easy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, but you don't want people to see the failures. You really don't. I think, Alex, That's it's very clear. Very clear. But this is... But you know, this, I think music might be slightly me... different. And are they staged rehearsals or are they genuine rehearsals? They're very genuine rehearsals, but there is an element of theatre and experience because the product is, how do I get under the skin of an artist? Okay. And you, and can, so do it with, you can do it with music right. rehearsals. And actually, yeah, Alex is a good example because he's organised. I know Alex. And, yeah. and for a musician, I'll tell you, for a musician... I don't I, know. I went on tour with him, mate. I got to see another side. Yeah, I'm sure you... <laughs> but, you know, he gets back to you. And, like, and, the spread, and the spreadsheet turns up. Do you know what I mean? And much as I love a lot of musicians, but that shit never... I mean, I can't get them to do the most basic stuff. But yeah. he, but he under, he's very much on the... I'm going to look at every single thing I do. And what he's great, but he's been very open-hearted too about... He writes to the fans personally. Every time he gets a single fan, he'll write to them, you know, yeah. and be lovely to hear yeah. from you. His business... So how does he get there? Can you do that? Can you put some analytic on Spotify where you find out who's listening to your stuff? Not Spotify specifically, no, but the, the, Facebook his... you can, can't you? Not anymore. That's that, that's their business. Facebook's business model is getting in between you and your audience. That yes, is their business. Right, that's true. And so their product is to bridge the gap between you and your audience. That's what they sell, right? Um, so what Alex does, he's following in the footsteps of a great um, underground artist, Ryan Leslie, um, and totally different genre, but um, like Ryan, what Ryan did is he would play open mic nights and do hip hop sets. So he would turn up to a singer songwriter, wishy washy, boring love song. Oh, I'm so sad. And like, but he would go deliberately to those open mics and he would play hip hop, which is something you wouldn't at the time, at least six, seven years ago, you wouldn't see at these wishy washy singer songwriter nights. And so the room would be like, whoa, I didn't expect to like hip hop. Um, and so what he would then do is he would jump into the audience after every show and say, hey, look, can I have your phone number? Like, I'll keep you up to date with what I'm doing. And in he that, got, yeah. as weird as that sounds, yeah. like he got around 10,000 phone numbers in like a year and a half. Wow. And then the most beautiful part of his story, which I flip in love is, and it's a great case study, is when he then decided to flip his activity from building his brand to building his product, what he would do, like any good flipping entrepreneur would do, before you make a product, you ask somebody if they're going to buy it, right? So what he would do is he'd text everybody in the city he's about to go to, maybe it's Chicago, and he'd text the 250 people in Chicago and say, I'm coming to Chicago next month. What do you want? And like 100 people will reply and say, I don't want to see an open mic. I want to see your show. And he's like, okay, okay, okay. And then maybe 50 people will all of a sudden say, I'd love to take you for dinner. And then maybe five people will say, this conference that I'm speaking at is boring as sin. You're not boring. Do you want to speak at it? And he'd respond to each one of those and go, how much will you pay? And like in his first year of doing that, he made $2 million. $2 million, mm. right? He publishes all of this online, like what he earns. And I think his most recent earnings are around 8 million bucks. But no one's heard of him. He's not he's, famous. He's got, he's got RSI in his thumbs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm texting. Does he? Is he? I mean, he sounds like he sounds clever and he sounds committed. And he sounds like he works hard. Yeah, but there's a comedian version of of Ryan Leslie. I think it's there's loads of them. Simon Kitson. Is it? Daniel Kitson. Daniel Kitson. Yeah, and he has his own fan club, right? And he yeah. won't do any show unless it's to his fan club. Yeah, and he well, Daniel was Daniel was very good. I should play football with Daniel. <laughs> cool. But Daniel was, he was, Daniel. he was always very good and he won the Perrier. Well, I'm not even sure if it was called the Perrier. But anyway, yeah, he yeah. won the, the Edinburgh Award and he was 
genuine, generally recognised to be one of the best, if not the best comedian mm. of his generation. So he always had that on his side and he was quite a big name anyway. Mm. But he hated, and, and there was a, a, a woman called Hannah Chambers and she signed him, Daniel and Jimmy Carr. And you, you obviously That's know Jimmy. That's a roster. Yeah, I mean, and, and they both went on to be, you know, very successful in their own different ways. But then at a certain point, Daniel left Hannah and I think they left on, he left on fairly good terms, but he hated doing publicity. Mm. So he decided I'm not going to do any publicity. Mm. So he wouldn't do reviews. He wouldn't go and do any, and, he, and mm. he did, he was in Peter Kay's um, Phoenix Nights and he didn't like that. So he decided I don't like TV. So he oh, which one not, is he in Phoenix Nights? I can't remember. Uh, <laughs> I think he was only it's in Daniel one Kitson, episode. Mate, don't you, don't you know? And he just went, I don't like TV. So he, he always had very clear in his head what he liked and what he didn't like, and he just wouldn't do anything do he didn't like. Do you think you could do with this, though? Could you, in, in let me comedy? just finish on Daniel. And then, and then as the internet grew up in the noughties, he just built up his own mailing list. Mm. And literally he can just, and he's got fans all over the world, I'm on his mailing list, and he just goes, I'm doing a charity gig in London or I'm doing a, my new play in New York or I'm coming to Melbourne or whatever it is, and there's enough people on the mailing list to sell out his shows. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And that's the approach that I think there's this, what I call the mid tier creative, which is yeah. the, the business model is But not, he owns his own house. He doesn't, he doesn't care yeah. about money and he's got enough to do whatever he likes. Like there's, there's music that, equivalents like Gregory Allen Isakov. Like no one's ever heard of him, but he's. Good name. Yeah. It's a great name, but he's like top of the Americana charts now and he's not signed a, a record deal. And it's all because he just made this fan cult following them and then built a business around the cult. Yeah. Didn't build a business around being famous. And that's the big difference here. Yeah. And that's, that's Daniel Kitson's. Yeah. I mean, he story. gets offers to be on telly all the time. Yeah. And he's just not interested. Do you think there's space in the comedy industry for a, for a rattle, for a, yes. a place that I think would you would develop? find, We've, I think yeah. like there's so many good comedians. Mm -hmm. I mean, so many. And particularly now, comedy on the telly's got very, very, there's all sorts of discrimination going on. And so there are loads of comedians, uh, you know, who who in, a in an ordinary club night will go down better than the comedians you regularly see on the telly and yet just get completely overlooked or oh. by the television or by... Um, is it, is it like the problem in music? Then there's lots of examples of this. Of, you know, I mean, Skibbity would be an example, but of, of someone live who can always smash it, and then yeah. you put them in the recording studio, and it's just they're just different. Well, art these forms. guys don't even get the chance to be put in a recording studio because mm -hmm. they are not the chosen. Right? Thing. Okay. You know, and oh, okay. And so, so it is. It's politics. You're saying not. It's really. completely politics. Okay. And and so it completely sucks. But the beauty of the internet is that it's created so many different platforms for guys to go and do their stuff. Mm. And so there are loads of people who've just stuck clips of themselves on YouTube and they've gone viral. There's a guy I was just having uh, lunch with a guy before I came here who was talking. He said, do you remember this comedian? And I said, yeah, vaguely. And he said, yeah, well, he had a kid. And he started doing little selfie videos about his experience as a parent and not really know what he was doing. And because he was a comedian, he was sort of quite funny. He was never the greatest comedian in the world, but he was okay. And he started doing these videos and he's huge. And But it's all young parents, because everyone's a parent, you know, mm. and, he's, and he's built up this huge thing of people come to see him do these shows talking about being a parent and they watch his videos. And apparently people come to see his shows and he's like, you know, people are crying. <laughs> Not with laughter, but with like, oh, somebody else is going through what I'm going through. Yeah. And and so this is a guy who's taken his comedy skills and just turned left slightly and, and done it, you know. And, and then there's another, you know, I've done it a little bit by being the comedian who writes about finance. And But there's everyone, lots of comedians have just gone, I, I've gone as, 
I've got the skills. I've gone as far as I can go on the stand-up circuit and or I can just go around the club and get £200 for a gig f- four or five nights a week and that's my life and I'm going to be, you know, forever driving on motorways. Did the comedy industry the draw reference from the music industry a lot? Yeah, you... there's so many parallels. And the two big agents in, in the comedy industry, one of them in particular, are like the um, music Old, you know, like Motown Old used music. to be. They're the, they're the gatekeepers, and they're also they they send their acts up to Edinburgh. Their acts get into shitloads of debt, and the acts then owe the agent money, right, right. and then they spend the rest of the year working to, for the agent to pay off the debt. And and so you know, you've given us a couple of examples of, of what your company does, but I'm sure the same thing is waiting to happen. No, I think you've bet it. Yeah, yeah. And, and every comedian is sitting there going, how do I get big? How, they're all thinking of ways to, because they're all little entrepreneurs. They've all started their own little business and they're all going, you know, how? what's my unique selling point? What can I do that makes me different? How can I get noticed? They all want to be famous, but they all want to be, but then a lot of the time, once they get to a certain level, they don't particularly want to be famous. They just want to, you know, make their Stability. statement and perform, perform their stuff and be paid to do it yeah. and not have to kowtow to club bookers and agents and TV people. And, you know, there's only so much room on TV and there just isn't room for everyone. Yeah, which is, so it's like, and TV is, a, is you know, it's the access to the comedy, right? It's, yeah. it's, that, it's the commercial product. But it's like the, one of the industries I take most of my inspiration from is food, right? Because if you think mm. about it, great chefs are artists too. They, yeah. they change your behavior. I would accept that. Yeah, they, they change your behavior with like <laughs> with your sensation of food. And there are very few things in this universe, very few things in life, in my opinion, that you have to do. You have to do well, them. Well, food's the only one that yeah. well, you is die. good if you do it right. Yeah. You know, like it's if you, definitely good for you. If you don't eat, you're you're dead, right? Vitamin yeah. pills are not the solution. And like, sorry, oxygenarians. But that, you, yeah, but but what else can you do that you have to do unless you die? That you can get so much joy from, right? Mm. And so passionate, artistic, and creative chefs now, you can make such an incredible business by having one restaurant. Plus, they've still got a physical product. Yeah, they've still got a product, right? The product is, I need to eat, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, how do I eat? <laughs> and yeah. so... I can't this. get it online, you know? But the I behavioral change is, how do I understand the craziness of someone's mind on a plate? And mm. so the brand, the product, and then the business, the restaurant, which is the thing that pulls them all together, or one example of. Yeah. And, like, if we start looking at these other industries, that's that's what the rattle's really about. Well, do that do that to a restaurant then. So the, the, the business is the restaurant, in your terminology? Business, yeah, the business is the brick and mortar that processes... Essentially, the, the 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 money coming in, the managing the money's going out. Um, it's managing the, the resources entity. and the operations, right? Okay. Yeah. So. Okay, it's operations effectively. Yeah, operations okay. effectively. And then the product is the food. The product is is the sustenance, if that makes any sense. Oh, because the, okay, that's the need and the the, the need the, is the, I have to eat. I have to eat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I prefer it when it's tasty. And, and you, then the brand is obviously the, the the logo on the side of the building. Yeah. Or, or well, no, not quite. The experience. Lo- no, no, maybe? exactly. It's the experience. Like because ah, because the logo is just a representation of what you're about to buy. Right. The logo is not the brand. And this is what, in my opinion, the, the one of the biggest lies been told to most uh, people building products is that branding is about choosing your color scheme and your font and your logo mm. and whatever else. It's fucking bollocks. You're 
brand is all about what you do to change behavior. And all of these other things are just representations, like shortcuts to that change. Mm. It's why like MasterChef Would has a Would you say logo. to always change behavior or engage and get, you know, it's, it's you're, not all brands change behavior. I they? would go out on a limb and I'm very open to being wrong, but I would go out on a limb and say branding is always changing behavior. Branding is always changing behavior. Yeah. You're not a good brand unless you change behavior. So, but with- I really need to think about that. With one. your business, the kettle, the kettle? What's it called? The, <laughs> the kettle's quite good. Quite, that's, tea, the, that's the comedy one. <laughs> the kettle. Not just a cup of tea. What's, what's it called? The rattle. The rattle. The rattle. Like a snake. The rattle. The kettle. Is that it getting edited out? With your business, so, milk and two shoes. I knew there was a, I knew there was a, a tl in there somewhere. <laughs> um, see, so with your business, the rattle. <laughs> Uh, uh, I'm, I'm desperately hoping that our producer will edit that bit out, but I'm, uh, I'm <laughs> worried on. that he might keep it in. That's gone. Anyway, with the uh, with with the rattle, when you originally described it, I thought it was like a tech startup thing, but when you've what, now you describe it, it, almost sounds like you're a, a manager, and so mm. each different uh, artist. You know, because if you're an artist manager, each different artist will have a different way that they're going to make it or not make it. Do you? So, I mean, is there like a set um, format that you follow, or do you do you change it to each individual artist? And oh, that so, is a great question. Like we've we've been going through a bunch of learning pains over the last kind of year and a half that we've been operating. So, like we, Bobby, my co-founder, and I, um, and we're joined by a third co-founder, John. Um, like when Bobby and I started, I wanted to make what's called an accelerator. So yeah. like, this is like, take talented people, help them become investable. Um, uh, and Bobby wanted to create Andy Warhol's factory. And neither of us could really agree on how to do it. So we, and we both didn't see each other's point of view very well. I'm not going to lie. And Andy, you're in the middle of many of those conversations, mm. right? Where you watch Bobby and I almost come to fists and like... Um, Actually, because, it looked like a very constructive conversation. Oh, did time. it? Yeah, yeah, Oh, yeah, man, yeah. you should have seen it when you left. <laughs> like, but the thing is, it's like, we didn't know the answer. Like, how do you make artists founders of companies and how do you make sure artists maintain themselves as incredible artists at the same time? We couldn't bring it together. So what we did is we built a space, like a physical space with studios in it, workspace in it, mentors, where everybody there has made a meaningful change in whatever it is that they do. And just we'll watch for a little while and see how they interact. And that's that's what you've been involved with mm, me. Mm. And we've now spent 18 months watching. If how you build interact. it, they will come. And did it's really popular. Like two and a half thousand applications a year to join our collective. And like we we've let in, I think it's like 170 over the course of 18 months. So it's like, we look for people who are fucking amazing. But what we've been doing up until this point, and it is changing next year, what we've been doing up to this point is just creating the conditions for them to figure it out together, where 30% of our members make tech companies, about 50% of our members are pure artists, and there's this kind of magic 20% that just do weird and wonderful things. And we're just letting each side learn from each other. But now we think we know what we're going to be when we grow up. And there's this um, idea, exactly to your point, like a manager, the thing that most founders miss, so if you think an artist is a founder of a company, the thing that nearly every founder actually needs but never has the, the is never brave enough to find is a co-founder. Who am I going to share my future with? Like, who am mm. I going to get into Who's going to challenge me? Who can I trust? Yeah, Who's who has a work complimentary but different point of view? Mm. Like, when look at Bobby and I, and... Um, so what the rattle is growing up into becoming is a co-founder 
for people who use culture as the way they want to change society. Nice. Um, and so uh, people apply to be part of the rattle. Um, once they're they're selected by a committee of mentors, um, we then join their team. Simple as that. Yeah. We have a bunch of experts who make like tech, who make marketing, they do branding, they make music, all these kind of weird and wonderful humans. Well, how do you what do you charge commission? How do you on their earnings? How do you at the moment we're a membership fee? Like I personally believe that that if you are a service provider, you need to be fireable. This is my big issue with labels. It's my big issue with investors. Yeah, I agree with it's that. It's my big issue with accelerators. Like, if you sign a deal, you're like, well, I'm fucked now if this goes wrong. But if there's a service provider and you do a bad job, right? Well, do, you fire them. Similar to my, to be independent, it's like, I don't really, you know, if I get involved, then I lose my independence. They should be able to fire me. And, Precisely. It's their and company. I shouldn't get too confused, you know, about them. Absolutely their company. So at the moment, people pay us a membership fee. And if they're not happy, they stop paying us. So <laughs> simple as that. And we like, throw them out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like our churns, like, which is like the number of people who fire is a proportion of membership. It's, it's under 5%. It's bonkers. And what's the, bonkers. Does the fee... Uh, change according to the level of service you get. How the talented moment, they are. Yeah. At the moment, it's <laughs> oh, he's one. He's gone down in a bit, but it's right. <laughs> at the moment, it's one fee. Year. It's just one price. And how much is it? Uh, it's two hundred fifty pounds a month at the moment. A but bargain. It's, it it's a honestly, it's a fucking bargain. Okay, hey, all right. I'll say it. I am £275 an hour. You couldn't even get, you can't, and I would be absolute waste of space yeah. next to the talent and the quality of the, you know, advice and stuff. Actually, I mean, it's a curious thing because one of the, one, one of the problems of getting advice is that there is a problem with too much advice. So mm. what I quite like that you're, you're, well, I like a lot, but you're really trying to put together an integrated solution. So it's, it's, you know, it's a crack team of people who know what they're talking about in those different spheres. Because one yeah. of the things that really, when you get into the music industry, and I'm sure it's to say how many moving parts there are in the music industry. I mean, how, we, we've named a few here. You need a touring agent, a management, you need some genius marketer, you need radio pluggers, you need, I mean, the, t the list just goes on. You, you've got a record label, you've got a publisher, you've got a brands to deal with. I mean, you, you, you're, it's such a complicated industry. It's exhausting, all of that. This is what we're challenging. Like, this is genuinely- You don't need all of that shit. I, think I, I don't think you fucking need I think it's, pre it's, it's, it's indoctrinated nonsense from the 70s. And it's like- like the, when we of, had money, when they had enough money, they were like, well, <laughs> let's get Bob an office and put him in charge of, you know. Here's, here's a, um, a roughly true, because of the exact numbers, I, I'm not too sure, but like the, the music industry by revenue, right? How much money is made by the selling music? Yeah. Um, in um, 2018, I think it was, or 17, was $36 billion a year Worldwide. globally. Globally. Globally, yeah. Which is a lot of money. Not enough to pay the uh, the women. Oh, anyway, sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's not enough, to, obviously, to pay the artists. And, like, um, <laughs> and like the, but the thing is, let's look at Starbucks. Its company value is over $100 billion. So Starbucks is it's worth bigger three, than the entire music industry. Three times larger than the music industry. And it's that should put is that, things... Is that the global music industry? It's the global million. music and industry. And also that is basically Elton John and Ed Sheeran, as far as I yeah, can Yeah, there out. are other subcategories of the music industry, like the sale of rights, which is a different thing. And that's okay. that's a that's a big industry, the buying of catalogues. But okay. like the actual money made from selling, performing selling and you know, radio plays. And oh, you're including downloads. performing and everything. Absolutely. 
like merch. That's the market of... cap of BMW is $36 billion. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. Flipping heck. And it's, yeah. It's... But doesn't it just blow your mind? Like the thing that... I know, uh, 36 billion euros. Oh, euros. But oh, anyway. well. <laughs> anyway, same, same, but yeah. different. Go Trump. Um, but the thing that... The thing that like I find really interesting and I, I had a really good chat with who's soon becoming, I hope, a, a very good friend, um, Jeffrey Harris from Capitol Records. And I used to be very like, oh, oh labels are assholes, right? And I used to have that idealistic view of the music world. Yeah. Um, and it's, although I still stick to the principle, I don't necessarily stick to everyone's yeah. the same. And um, Jeffrey, he was like, Chris, you got to realize like before streaming, it was a, what, what he called a producer's market. Like, as you say, you commission albums, you yeah. commission artists. And yeah. there's inevitably going to be, like, only one in ten is going to win because the market's not big enough to to support the other nine. But you'll give it a good shot. And everybody understood the risk they were getting in for. It's a producer's market. So you would make trends as a label. But the second streaming hit, their ability to control that trend just vanished overnight. Mm. Ultimately just disappeared. And so because they have no control over trends and they're still pumping money in the same as they were before, artists were like, you're all assholes, right? And you're just like screwing away my career. You're clearly not making me a success. But they they lost all they, they, of the they, control. Yeah, they, they lost all their power. And they didn't realize and it didn't until later that that's what happened. And so labels themselves, in my opinion, it's an outdated business model, in my opinion. But that doesn't mean that they're full of assholes. But it does mean they're totally outdated for the most part. And so this link between money and culture needs to be broken if you want to make new culture. You need to change the business model of culture. And the whole point of being a founder is you design your own business. You design your own product and you leverage the fact that you're amazing at something to build your brand. And the second you can like untangle those three things, which is the critical part of what the rattle does, untangle them and then use best practices where they're appropriate. The, the world's your oyster. You're not you're not in a thirty six billion dollar industry anymore. You're in a hundreds of trillion dollar industry, which is just um, you know influence no in general. At the beginning of this interview, um, we obviously listed out your amazing CV <laughs> and all these amazingly yeah, different yeah. things we did, and then I asked you, "What are you doing now?" <laughs> and you said, "Ah, oh, just a couple of things." So I think we've analysed one of those two things, <laughs> which is the kettle, a.k.a. the rattle. <laughs> and, uh, but, I mean, and what, what's the other thing that you're doing at the moment? Uh, being a dad. Yeah. Okay. Like I, I like to, the thing is, it's my, a bit of a woke answer. Yeah. Sorry, mate. But like, it's like regardless, <laughs> oh, it's, it's genuine. I played the parent card. Yeah. Oh, Thanks, like... Obama. Um, and like, um, <laughs> I, I no, there's a few a few professional passions I have at the moment, but the, my dedication is to the rattle because it's okay. it's my business baby. So that's taking up your all your work. The vast time. majority of my professional time, but I, I'm also um, very much uh, I, I like food is something I'm very deeply passionate about. Not just the eating of it, but it's it's representation of culture and society is really important to me. Um, and since having a kid, the next thing which is now probably overriding all of this, it sounds a bit weird and woke, so to speak, but climate change to me is like, it was a thing that I obviously supported and wanted to champion, but now I have, yeah, a, kid, have a kid, oh, has well, now yeah. just changed my entire priority list like not that it was never a high priority but you don't feel close to it well you keep looking forward 20 years and thinking of babylon of hell and you know yeah i'm just and, like and dead holy shit like this is this is not going away and the, and so when i start mixing all of my passions together and you know my second most 
important thing in the world is the rattle. And the first, and not, well, okay, that's a bit weird. My first is is obviously my family, and the second is 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 the rattle. And when I start thinking about the family stuff, I'm a believer that you have you have to use what you're good at to solve problems you care about, even if they're not obviously connected. And what I've grown, I believe, to be okay at, at least, is developing founders. That's what I've, I've learned over the last decade. Um, but what I'm now starting to really care about is making sure my son grows up in a world Founder. That, yeah, <laughs> that he can live in. And, and like that he's proud of. And he doesn't look at what I've done in the past and go, you fucking destroyed my planet. And so food is the area where I really want to address that balance. And that sounds a bit strange. Um, but can, what, what, how do you use your skills then to help with the environment? Is that something, therefore, you're going to get here active we go. Into? Are you ready? Yeah. You ready? So one of the... Uh, the cheese rattle cake. battle <laughs> shit. What, what did you say? So, Cheesecake. Cheesecake. <laughs> <laughs> so um, between 13... There's a bit of argument, but between 13 and 80% of all climate-affecting contributions, man-made contributions, um, are from agriculture. Yeah. yeah, from agriculture. And yeah. over 60% of that contribution comes from the cattle industry or the yeah. meat industry, and um, which makes sense, right? It makes total sense. But at the same time, a lot of heritage and culture comes from food. Our identity comes from food, the arts, um, and our ecosystem, right? And so... There's now this big push for saying don't don't eat meat, don't eat any kind of meat. It's it's fucking killing the planet, right? Mm. Um, which statistically is true. Um, but then by doing that, you're also killing the culture that you you love and adore. And it, changing culture is is a very slow process. Mm. Um, and I'm not necessarily convinced it's the correct thing to do. So I have a hypothesis, and I don't know if it's true, and I want to test it. I have a hypothesis that. The statistics used to demonize the food industry comes from mass production of food, not from food itself. And so if you look at mass production of beef, that's a horrendous industry. Water shipped from Alaska down to the southern states of the USA to feed cattle with, a gro with bovine growth hormones or whatever. You know, that's a horrendous impact on the climate, mm. uh, on the planet. But the small holding next to your house in like Berkshire that uses, a, that uses a well for its water recycles the waste to grow crops. Like, is that genuinely a negative impact on the planet? Because that's what we were doing all before the Industrial Revolution, right? Mm. So I want to try and somehow help those people that I hypothesize are founders. not impacting These are become small. founders yeah. of companies that yeah. look to save the planet. Yeah. Um, and so that's something I want to do in my 40s. Like, I have this belief in changing your career every 10 years. And like in my 40s, it's 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 going to be at some point around that problem and, and that thing. Um and I want to use what I'm good at, what I've learned in my 30s, to be good at the thing I'm wanting well, to do. Well, yeah, yeah, I would agree. There are artists too, these farmers, and it's it's very, it's a very artisans, technical for sure. artisans, yeah. very technical job, very hard to sort of market, and you know, th there's complicated questions in there. That would be, it's a very nice idea. I mean, I'd quite like when I read the other day, which cheered me up a lot, which is the two third vegan. Have you seen this thing? Which no. I really like. So basically, the trouble with most of us is, yeah, vegetables are better for you and all of that, but occasionally <laughs> it's nice to have meat, and also I find socially it's very difficult. Sometimes I meet someone for lunch. You know, do you want me to order? Do you have everything? Blah, 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 blah. You know, and you're part mm. of this. You, you don't want to be like, oh, well, actually, I can't have that. And can we get the waiter? And mm. it's just socially at the moment slightly difficult. Um, but two-thirds vegan, if you look at it, it's 
almost as good as being a vegan. So that is you're vegan, but every third meal on average, you know, you allow yourself some meat. You don't do dairy, you don't do milk and cheese because those ones you can give up and because the replacements are pretty good. Mm. If you're a cheese fanatic, I'm sorry. I am, there, but, sorry. Yeah, but you know, to some extent, certainly milk is fine, but I love the fat. And then you look at the damage to the environment, damage to everything. A two-thirds vegan is just slightly worse than a vegan because actually you're just having a piece of steak now and then or you're having a bit of chicken, you know, and, and, and you're mixing it in, but otherwise. So that gave me some hope because I think that's that, that fits with us all much more broadly. But I love the idea of, if, 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 you know, because the Britain's got the best food industry arguably in the world and actually... I think it's fantastic. You know, we've got much better local food and yeah. things like that. Okay, so the Rattle 2.0 might be a kettle. It might be a kettle. <laughs> the kettle. The kettle. Um, as we close, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Chris, why don't you tell us how we can find out about more about this kettle? Kettle. And the cat is the kettle or the cattle? <laughs> oh, you're confusing me. Um, uh, and tell us more about how we can find out more about you and what you do and... There you go. Yeah, so the plug, rattle plug is... <laughs> plug, basically. Uh, you, you can find us in two places physically. So uh, in East London, in Wapping at Tobacco Docks, you'll find a rattle. And in Los Angeles at Max Sennett Studios, you'll find a rattle. And there's soon to be a third rattle in New York. Um, rattle in the Big Apple. A rattle in the Big Apple, that's right. Most likely Brooklyn. Um, and um, me personally, my personal website is iamanoptimist.com. Um, that's where you'll hear about all my boring food. And pessimistic thoughts. Yeah, my very, my very miserable pessimistic thoughts. Um, the rational optimist. That's rash- what you should read. The pragmatic optimist. Oh, the rational optimist. Ratch- rational optimist, Matt Ridley. No, I've never read that. In fact, you'll absolutely hate him because he doesn't share the same views on climate change. <laughs> 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 on that note, ladies and gents, thanks very much for listening. Uh, Chris Howard, you've been a terrific guest. Oh, thank you. Andy Ori, of course, thank you very much for making this thank podcast you, Dominic happen. Thank you, Dominic Thank you, Dominic Frisbee, me, and thank you to DR Producer, and thank you to our listener. And we will talk to you again next time. And make sure you subscribe to the show so you can join Andy Uri and me, Dominic Frisbee, for the next episode of Business Without B***.